Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Merry Christmas! For those of you who know me, I will say Merry Christmas every single day. Because to say Merry Christmas as a Christian, it means that Christ is alive in me. And that I have prepared my heart for His return. This is the Advent season where we display the candles up front, the, the candles of love, joy, peace, hope. And the center Christ, the center candle is the Christ candle. And the meaning of Advent is to prepare your heart for one's coming. And as we know that Christ was born, and we can rejoice in it, and the fact that God is a promise keeper, we can look forward with hope, joy, peace, and love for the Christ that is going to return. Amen. It's kind of funny, you know, this is the first Christmas Eve service, and so when Brother Dan asked me to preach, I was like, well, what am I going to preach about? And then I thought, well, I guess the birth of Christ. So please turn with me in Matthew chapter 2. This is going to be an account that many of you are familiar with, the wise men, the magi. Some of you might, you know, have been part of a play for this, and you were the wise man, and you were like, I want to be a wise man. I want to be one of them wise people. I'll never forget a Christmas play that I saw when I lived in Kentucky, and you know, the, the wise man, the, the magi with the gold, he had little fake golden coins that were chocolate. And just during the whole play, the man was just opening them up. <laughs> Taking them out. I'm like, hey man, you got to eat your treasure, I guess. But there's a lot that we can preach about, teach about, worship about in regards to the birth of our Savior. That's the reason why we do this. To not... Uh, be so wrapped up in the secularism of the holiday season, but be reminded that, yes, it was a holy night, it was a divine night, and we should worship with great admiration and praise. I named this sermon, Three Doors in the Civil War. Many of you are like, it sounds like a long sermon, so I might as well leave now. I was a history major a long, long time ago. I love history. Raise your hand if you like history. There's a handful of liars out there. Um, I love history because it's his story. You get that, right? The Civil War, most people would say, began with Fort Sumter in 1861. It was the bloodiest conflict that America has ever fought in. Matter of fact, even with today modern wars, you can combine every single casualty of every single war, and still more Americans died in those four bloody wars. You had battles like the Battle of Gettysburg, where in three days there were more Americans that died in those three days in, in the entire Korean War. It was extremely harsh. It was brutal. And senior leaders and people wanted the war to end. Well, unfortunately, there was one young soldier... He had gate guard for, gate guard, 
not gate guard, they had no gates back then, but he did have guard duty for 24 hours. You see, that happened back there too. And unfortunately, he fell asleep. And his senior leader, commander of the unit, found him asleep, woke him up, and charged him with their election of his duty. And very misfortunate, the punishment for that were to be death by firing squad. Imagine that. Again, senior leaders wanted the war to end, and any lack of discipline was severely punished. While he was in the brig, his good friend, who happened to be a lawyer, came to him as, as the war ended. He learned of the details of the situation of being just sheerly exhausted. His friend, the lawyer, tried to appeal his case, and the commanders there said, there's nothing we can do. The record has been sealed in red tape, and we do not have the authority to cut it. Hence the saying, there's too much red tape to cut. The only person who can change this appeal is the commander-in-chief himself. Well, the young boy, knowing his luck was probably not very good, he decided to go to the White House with the record in hand and his sheer desire of having his case heard, which was not uncommon. If you can believe it, you could go as a civilian to the White House and argue your case, whatever it might be, to the president himself. If you saw the, the somewhat recent movie, Lincoln, it displays that. He goes and he sees the hallways utterly full of people trying to talk to the president. The day went long. The sun began to set. And this young soldier believed his time was running out. He sat down on a bench and he waited for the armed escort to come and take him away. I will pause that for the reading of the word found again in Matthew chapter 2. I will be reading from the ESV. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4. And assembling all the chief of the priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where this Christ was to be born. Verse 5. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, 
they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Please pray with me. Father God, you truly are a God who keeps his promises in you who has created this great plan of salvation and redemption, wanting the fellowship with your people. And yet, Father, you know each and every single one of us here. For as it is written, you know the very numbers of hairs upon our head. And let us have a new understanding, a refreshed understanding of what it means for your son to be born and your gospel to be presented. And in your son's name do I pray. Amen. The central theme of this message, this quick message, is going to be focused on only two people. King Herod and the wise men, the Magi. Now some people, again, might have this picture of the wise men. And for some reason, history has given us this depiction of only three of them. Because of the three gifts. And children, if you are expecting more than three gifts, well, then you're just selfish. Just kidding. Just kidding. But kind of being serious at the same time. Um, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Who were these wise men? And why do we care about this entire account? Why do we care about these wise people coming, traveling, and worshiping this young child? We know that they were not there when the angels declared themselves to the shepherds. It was the angels who declared themselves to the shepherds. Shepherds uh, uh, went to the child, rejoiced greatly, and told everyone that Jesus had been born. So this was nothing new. This was like almost a Facebook memory post. Don't you remember? Jesus was born several years ago. This is not a new birth. We know that by looking at verse 1 here. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and his star appeared. Who were these wise men? And what is this star? Now I hate to break it to you, it's not this weird meteor that just kind of did a slow roll over the house. That would be very scary and intimidating to go to a house with a burning ball of flame. Just not, I don't, sci-fi doesn't have that. It's not a sci-fi story, and why do we care about it? We also know that the wise men knew Daniel in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, if you ever feel a little need to be encouraged about standing on your faith, standing on your principles, your morals, just read the book of Daniel. This was a man who was taken from his home, and by the magi, had convinced the king to throw Daniel and his friends, his battle buddies, into the burning furnace and into the lion's den. These are the same people. Well, not the exact same people because it's been 400 years. But what we do know about the Magi with a little bit more research is that this was an entire clan. This was an entire tribe of people with their own religious understanding. They were... Extremely wealthy, extremely intelligent. These were the most mightiest people all of the Persian Empire. It wasn't just 
one or two or three of them who just randomly saw the star and was like, hey, we should go over there. These were learned men. Matter of fact, there was not a single king of Persia that wore a crown if it wasn't blessed by the Magi. You see, these were not your fortune tellers from 7-Eleven. These wasn't, you know, the people that you went to go see to see what were your lucky numbers going to be to play on the lottery. These were extremely powerful people who had their own entourage of security, camels, and servants. Why did they come? They were learned men. Look at this. When they see what is said in verse 2, they came to, to Jerusalem and they asked everybody, Hey, fella, where's the king of the Jews? Now, that's a little interesting because if you were some sort of leader in a, in a military unit, I don't know, that might apply to some of y'all, and you go to a unit and you're like, Hey, where's your commander? Where's your new commander? And there's a private there, and he's like, the new one? What happened to the old one? Because King Herod is still alive. What do I say? Do you see this conundrum here? Where it says in verse 1, King Herod was alive, and he was the king of the Jews. And yet the wise men knew better. Because within their own religion, there was a teaching that there was going to be a coming Messiah king. This is our point one for the night. The wise men had waited for a Messiah king. He revealed himself, and so they came. These were not necessarily people who believed in Jesus, but they believed in the prophecy, and they knew of the prophecy of a coming born king. And when they saw, notice how they declared in verse 2, his star. It wasn't just a randomly bright star. There's a possession there. His star when it rose. Let's look at that again in verse 2. Saying to all the people of Jerusalem, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These were learned, wise men who were anxiously waiting for the Messiah. And they weren't even Jewish. They were from the great Persian Empire. And ironically, not only were they Jewish, but King Herod wasn't Jewish either. How ironic and interesting is that? Point one, the wise men had waited for, them, for a Messiah king. He revealed himself, and so they came. So what was his star? If they knew for, for certain, hey, that thing right there is the, is the king that's going to be born. We have been waiting for, how do we know? Well, here's a brief snapshot. If you were to turn back to the Luke's gospel account of this, and the angels showed themselves to who? The shepherds. Very good. It, it tells us in the Gospel of Luke that the glory of the Lord was there. So what is this star? I am willing to bet. I'm going to give it a good solid college try and believe that this star was the very glory of God. 
the very Shekinah glory that even in the Old Testament revealed himself as a pillar of fire and a cloud leading the entire Hebrew nation to the promised kingdom. I believe that these wise men knew without a doubt, even though they weren't even Jewish, that's God. And when they left King Herod, they realized that the star had moved over Bethlehem. They went to Jerusalem, and then they got the GPS recalculating. Hey, I need you to go right over here. Let me ask you, church. Let me ask you who claim to be a believer such as myself. When we see the glory of the Lord, do we move? Do we see the very character of God displaying? When we get that little inkling, you know what? I should probably call that, buddy. Do we do it? Because even though these wise people, this wise tribe, this wise group of people weren't even believers in Jesus himself, knew I have to be obedient here. And how does King Herod respond? Let's look. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. Why? I mean, yeah, okay. The Sunday school answer is like, well, I mean, if you're king, and there are these people saying, now there's another guy, you'd be like, oh my gosh, maybe I didn't get a good OER. What happened with my last rating? Did I really mess up that bad? By the way, nobody really liked King Herod. Matter of fact, the man who of noble birth, though not Jewish, fleed, fled, that's the carker, that's proper there, fled the entire area of Jerusalem and Israel because the people hated him so much. He went even to the Roman council, the Senate of Rome, to plead his case, trying to get support from them. And the Senate heard two things. The people don't like you, but you're loyal to us. We're going to make you king. Some of you think that that happens in the army today. Nobody likes this guy. Promote him. No, that doesn't happen. But we give them an award or something like that. Nobody liked King Herod. Nobody liked his family. He wasn't Jewish. But the Roman Empire knew that they had a puppet. And King Herod fought for three years to solidify his power with a kingdom that was constantly a source of contention. If you know military history, you know the land of Israel was literally a trade and military highway. It was the quickest route around the Mediterranean Sea if the weather was bad. This kingdom that King Herod had fought for for so long was nothing more than a military buffer zone for the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire. It was worthless to Rome only to protect their borders and buy them time. You see, this is our point too. King Herod was focused on his own kingdom and did not care, did not need to care 
of who this person was. He was so focused on his tatty, little, teeny kingdom, he did not seem to pay attention that, I don't know, the glory of the Lord was showing in the sky. How arrogant, how ignorant was he? King Herod was focused on his own kingdom. I wonder, and I have to ask myself, am I too focused on my kingdom when I take a snapshot of this year? Was I too focused on whether or not somebody was going to like me? Was I so focused on whether or not I was going to get that good OER? Whether or not I was going to outbeat my wife with Christmas presents? I generally do, by the way. But are we so focused on our kingdom that we don't need we don't need to see a need for a savior? You see, King David, I mean King King Herod, he had all the power that he thought he wanted. He had all the wealth that he thought that he needed. Why would he need a savior according to his own eyes? By the way, he was king of the Jews. That's what his title is, if we're so concerned about titles. King Herod was also deathly afraid because again. The Magi had come with all their thousands of people to serve them and to protect them. Do you think Rome would want to hear that there are thousands of people from Persia in their territory? Probably not. It also solidifies the prophecy that the Messiah would be rejected by his own people. King Herod was the first door that the wise men knocked on. And that's the first door of this message. The wise man came at the secret invite of the king. A plan and a ploy of figuring out where this child king was born. The second door was the house of Mary and Joseph. You see, the wise men, remember, these were men of great wealth in Bethlehem, and no disrespect to Waiwa, but that's basically what Bethlehem was. It was a gateway town. It didn't really have a whole lot of significance to it. It was just there. It was a suburb to the city of Jerusalem. How interesting would it have been? And I even asked myself, if I come from a pompous lifestyle of great power and authority of being a magi, what would be my thoughts coming to a town like Bethlehem and yet they still were obedient in coming because they knew the king had been born? The second door was seeing the infant child of Jesus and what was their response? They worshipped and they were filled with Exceedingly joy. And they worshiped the king. Now, I did not read this account, but many of you all know they received a dream and they did not go back to King Herod. They were not afraid of his earthly power, they knew who they worshiped, and they went back another way. 
I ask you all this very simple question. What door do you knock? What door do we go to? What door do we have access? What door do you have confidence in going to? I ask you this question because we live in an anxious world, don't we? We live in a world of great unknowns. We live in a world that we desperately want to know all the answers because we utterly fear failing failing those that we claim to love. I ask you this question because as this year closes, is this account, this birth of Christ, just a simple, nice, cute little play where the little wise men eat the candy chocolates? We live for the little joyous glimmer within our children's eyes, or we, even as adults, hope and pray that we get a good one too this year. I ask you this question because I think it matters. Because the birth of Christ is not a singular event, just like any other account in the Bible is not a singular event. We can't just take the birth of Christ as a single moment and not think it has some correlation to Genesis and not think it has some correlation to Revelation. Matter of fact, the second, there's only two other accounts of a star in relation to Jesus. And the second is in the book of Revelation where Jesus is called the bright morning star. It's the same word. I ask you this, church, because it is our time to respond because we know that Christ has been born. And yet we can come to the cross with great number of questions of why there is anxiety, why there is fear, why there is doubt, why there is hardship, because I don't quite feel like there's peace on earth. We can come to the cross because of the third door. The young Union soldier sat on his bench with tears coming down his eyes. And as several children were playing around the White House, there was one child who was kind enough to stop and to ask this young man, Hey, why are you so sad? And the young soldier says, Young boy, the burden upon my life should not fall into your youthful ears. Go and play and love life because mine is surely going to end. No! Tell me. Tell me what is troubling you. Young man, please go. I cannot. I do not have the strength to tell you. For there is only one man who can help me. And this young child said to him, I think I might know this young man. Please tell me your account. And the soldier finally figured, you know what, I might as well. What will it hurt and what will it help? And so this young soldier told this young boy who just happened to be Tad Lincoln. And Lincoln, knowing that time was at hand, quickly ran through the halls of the White House and finally seeing the guard posted at the war chamber room, went up to knock the door and the guard said, no, your father is in a very important meeting, a meeting that will surely end this horrific war. You cannot interrupt him. And little Tad said, my father told me 
Whenever I am in need of him to knock away, and he shall open this door. I am my father's son. And the guard let him by. And he knocked the way that his father taught him. And sure enough, the tall stature of the president opened up the door and on one knee came to the eye level of his son. Teddy, what do you need to tell me? I have something very important I must do. Father, you must come and meet this man because only you can redeem his life. And all of a sudden, there was a hush that fell over the hallways of the White House. And sure enough, the president met this young man and pardoned his life. Brothers and sisters, we have a son that will come to the door on our behalf and only he can open it. And his name is Jesus. And he talks and he pleads our case. But it's not of well-wishing and hopeful thinking. This is not the rolling of the dice. This is the birth of God's only Son, Jesus, who in within the plan and purpose of God the Father wanted His Son to die on the cross. You see, the birth is not a singular event. It connects to the cross. Because without the birth, there would be no sacrifice. Without the life, of Jesus, there would be no death of Jesus. And without the death of Jesus, there would be no resurrection. Yep. And that is why we have the Advent. That is why we have the hope. That is why we have the peace and the love and the joy. Because of the Spirit of the Lord is now with us. And we can look with great joy, praying to, to the Father, Come, Lord Jesus, come. And I say to you again, O oh church, our point three, which, what door do you knock? What door do you go to? Because just as we have studied and learned from this account, and just like it says in Ephesians chapter 2, He made peace with those who were afar, the Magi, and with peace who were close, the shepherds. How shall we respond 